because you got resurrected. Can you say with me, I'm resurrected from the dead? You really are, according to the Bible. And I want to talk about resurrection today. I'm going to do a two-part series, just two weeks, on Lazarus Come Forth. I want to look at the resurrection of Lazarus because it is so chock full of truth for us today that I really believe it's going to bless you. Now, here's what I'm going to believe for. A Lazarus represents a problem that looks impossible. Lazarus represents something that looks like God is a day late and a dollar short. A Lazarus is one of those problems that stinketh. And in the natural, with a Lazarus, it's all over with. There is no hope in the natural. But with God, there is always hope. And, and with the Lord of Resurrection, a seemingly dead, impossible problem can be raised from the dead and healed and fixed and resolved and solved. So let's just read. I'm going to jump right in the middle of the story of Lazarus. Then I'm going to kind of give you a little historical skip through it. And then I'm going to just share with you three obstacles that stand in the way of our problem and Jesus getting to it. Okay? Then Jesus again, John eleven thirty eight. then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, and I think she kind of leaned over like this, you know, Lord, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. The New International Version just puts it a little more nicely. There is a stench. For he has been dead four days. He's been in there four days. Jesus said to her, and I love this, and I want you to read it with me. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What a word. Did I not say to you, That if you would believe, look at the stock that Jesus put in faith, the power of faith, that it can move a mountain, that it can raise something from the dead. Did I not say to you that if you would simply believe in me, put your faith in me, you would see the glory of God break loose on your problem? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I want to stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that, Lord, you will break forth in delivering breakthrough power. And that, Lord, many who are experiencing a Lazarus in their own life today will experience the touch of God on that seemingly impossible problem. Faith will be released and the glory of God will be manifested. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit. Tell him you're going to see resurrection power today. Amen. Now, we all know the story, but let me just give it to you real quick. Jesus made friends when he was on this earth. And, you know, a lot of people don't picture him that way. Oh, he was always up in a mountain or off somewhere praying. 
But Jesus was friendly without ever diluting who he was. He was God, but he was friendly, and he made friends. And three of the tightest friends he made on earth were, were three siblings, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Now, the Bible says that Jesus would come to their house. They would, uh, they would feed him. They would sit in fellowship and talk. Can you imagine Jesus coming to your house and sitting on your couch? <laughs> Can you imagine that? What a privilege that was. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus had this, and they were very, very close. The Bible makes a point of telling us that Jesus loved these three siblings. Well, okay, one day Jesus is in another town and he's ministering. And the two sisters discover that Lazarus has gotten sick, their brother, beloved brother. And it was bad. Don't know what it was, but it was enough to cause alarm. And they sent a messenger to Jesus. They said, Jesus, you need to come quick because he who you love is sick. And they just thought, and the sisters thought, and the messenger thought, well, he'd just stop everything and run because he whom he loved was sick. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus sat there for four days. Just goes to show you that sometimes what we think he ought to do, he doesn't do because he's got a bigger plan. God has a plan every time. And a lot of the times we just don't know what it is. We're in the dark. We see through a glass darkly, Paul said. So now, uh, here's the sisters. I can just picture them. Now, Lazarus is not getting better. He's getting worse. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who you love who is sick, and they're only getting worse. What it does to you, the stress and the angst and the anxiety and the pressure and the, the, the what do we do? How can we fix this? I can't fix this. The feeling of helplessness. And they're watching this. Day one, day two, day three, Lazarus. Worse, worse, worse. Fever goes up. I think he went into unconsciousness because he did eventually die. And all the while, let me tell you, these sisters are looking at their watch. Where in the world is Jesus? Where is Jesus? What has happened to Jesus? I thought he loved me. I thought he loved him. Where is he? And then finally, the word came to them. Forget about it. It's over with. He died. They had the funeral. But you know, I have discovered Jesus never preaches a good funeral. What I mean by that is, he always raised them from the dead. So, so they have the funeral. All the mourners are there. Everybody's crying and weeping. And Jesus shows up pretty much on the tail end of the funeral. Now, they see him coming, and the Bible says Mary and Martha made a beeline for him. And let me tell you, they did not say, great to see you, Jesus. They, they, they reamed him out. They told him what for. And they let him have it. And the Bible says that Jesus listened to them, and the Bible says he wept. In verse 35, John 11, Jesus wept. Tears began to stream down his face. And the Bible says in verse 38 that once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. Now that tells me this. When he did not show up when they thought he would, 
and do things the way they thought he should, he still loved them. He cared about their plight. And one of the things I wanted you to know today, it may seem to you that the Lord is late. You may be saying, where is Jesus on my situation? It may look to you like he's a day late and a dollar short, and where has he been, and why didn't he answer me, and my faith is being shaken, and I don't know what to make of all this. I want you to know that God is watching, and God has a plan, and Jesus is weeping over your problem, and he is heavy in his heart over it, and he's deeply moved by it, and he has a higher plan than you understand. Sometimes you just got to wait and see what God had planned instead of what you had planned. I have realized that my calendar is rarely His. My deadlines are rarely His. And the way that I would do something is not the way He usually would do something. So I've learned just to be quiet and wait. Now we find that after they had kind of told Him what for, Jesus said, show me where he's buried. Let's go to the grave. Let's go to the tomb. They go to the tomb, and the Bible says that Jesus had one thing to say when he walked up to the tomb. He said, I want you to roll away the stone. Now, that stone was a gravestone, same kind of stone that was over Jesus' tomb. It was heavy. It was big. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha had money. You know that it was probably a a, a pretty nice uh, tomb and gravestone, and it was rolled over the opening of the entrance. It was a cave that you walked down into, and the dead were buried down in that cave. And the Bible says that this stone was in the way. Now, I want you to see something with me. Between Jesus the answer and Lazarus the problem, there was an obstacle. Something was in the way, and it was this stone. But was it really? No, it really wasn't the stone. You know what was really in the way of Jesus getting to that problem? What was really in the way was the two sisters' objections to rolling that stone away. The problem wasn't the stone. The problem was in them. And so often, between our need our problem, our Lazaruses, our impossibilities, the problem, what keeps Jesus from getting to that impossibility and showing the glory of God is within us. There are obstacles within us. And I'm just going to call them stones that are within us, the barriers, obstacles that are in our own hearts that keep him from doing what only God can do. Now, let me tell you what three of them, the most typical are. Here's the most typical obstacles that keep us from really getting out of the way and letting Jesus into our problem. The first one is pride. I don't want to admit a problem. I don't want to admit that I've got a problem because, after all, I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I've got an image to hold up. I've got a reputation. And, by the way, there's no such thing as a self-made man, self-made woman. We all stand on many different shoulders. I stand on the shoulders of Jesus more than anybody else. And he is my crutch. What's yours? Amen? But pride. Pride keeps God from our problems so often. And I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. The second stone that gets in the way is shame. I don't want others to see my problem. I don't want others to know about this. 
Because this really stinketh. This is embarrassing. This, this is shameful. And so I'm going to keep I'm going to keep that stone of shame right where it is because I don't want anybody to know what I'm really doing. And the third one is unbelief. Pride, shame, and unbelief. I believe God hates unbelief. Unbelief says, I don't believe he can do anything about the problem. What do you mean, go to God with it? What is God going to do? I can't even see God. God's out there and I can't even see him. How's he going to fix my problem? I got to go this way to get my problem fixed, not this way. And so pride, I don't want to admit it. Shame, I don't want anybody to see it. Unbelief, I don't believe he can do anything about it. Now, when we're faced with an obstacle, I want you to hear the word today. Jesus' message to us when we are looking at our own Lazarus. And remember, Lazarus is an impossibility. Lazarus says it's too late. Lazarus says it is beyond help. Jesus says to that, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God break forth on your problem, on your Lazarus? Now, folks, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. I think here's what I'm pre- who I'm preaching to. I think I'm preaching to people who know that God moves today, that God hears prayer today, that God did not take away his power when the first century went away. He still heals. He still delivers. He still guides. He still speaks. He still raises people from the spiritual dead and sometimes from the physical dead. God's not dead. He is alive. That's who I'm talking to, right? So here's these two sisters. They got this major problem. The brother that we love, he's dead and he's been dead for four days and he's in that tomb. And there's a stone over the mouth of that tomb. And Jesus says to them, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, if you put your faith in me and stand on my word, that you would see the glory of God. And so for them, believing entailed removing any obstacle standing in the way of their breakthrough. And it happened to be that stone. And I think sometimes what faith entails for us, what believing entails for us, is removing any stone that stands in the way of us and the God of breakthrough. The God of breakthrough. Baal Perizim, the God of breakthrough. Watch this. Their part was to do what they could do, which was move the stone. His part was then to step in and do what they could not do, raise the dead. You know what I've seen about the ways of God? If you read the New Testament and you read, you just go through the Bible, you will see that people that got miracles through faith were always required, more times than not, to do something by faith that triggered and released the answer of God. By faith. Jesus said to the, the, the little boy that had the sack lunch, he saw 5,000 people that needed to eat, and he was about to do a miracle. But he required somebody to do something. He said to the little boy, give me your sack lunch. He told the disciples, get his sack lunch and give it to me. And the disciples said, what are you talking about? We've got 5,000 people and this is five bread and two, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, just give me what you have and I will do what you cannot do. Well, I'm going to say that again. Give me what you have. 
And I'm going to do what you cannot do. Do you see it now? Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, he didn't just say be healed. He said, stretch forth your hand. And as his hand withered from birth was coming up like this, the hand straightened out and was healed. Jesus told him to do something he could do so that Jesus could then do what the man could not do. He told Peter, get out of the boat and walk on the water. Peter had to take a step and get out. And as soon as he took a step of faith, the power of God levitated him. And he wasn't walking on, he wasn't walking on the water, he was walking on the Word. Ooh. This is the way God operates. You show me anytime, anywhere in the Bible where Jesus did a miracle, and I'll show you. He said, you do this, and then I will do what you cannot do. So that's what believing entailed. So, so now let's talk about these three miracle killers. Pride, shame, and unbelief. Because those are the stones that stand in the way of most miracles. Okay? The obstacle of pride. Pride is, pride is antithetical to God. Pride is the opposite of God. Pride is the culprit that stands between so many people and a touch from God. I personally believe that more people are going to wake up in hell because of pride than any single thing. Because we're too proud to say, I need a Savior. We're too proud to come to a God who says, I'm going to do it all. You just got to put your faith in me. You are not going to be able to take credit for any bit One scintilla of your salvation is all by grace, and proud people don't like that. We like to say, I did this, I did that, I went here, I went there, I thought this, I thought that. But Christianity is all God and none of us. But pride, pride. There are men who won't bow their knee to God because of pride. There are men listening to me. You're a businessman. You're you're successful. You've got a lot of the outward show of success, but inside there are things that are dying. You're in trouble in some ways. You're in real trouble, but you won't bow your knee because it takes humility and you're proud and your pride is keeping you from God. Jesus once compared two men, one humble, one proud. The humble prayed, be merciful to me a sinner, while the religious proud man said, huh, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. And Jesus said, which one do you think was saved? Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick but the one who's got it. Isn't it grievous to be around a proud person? think they're God's gift. Can I tell you something I told at 9 o'clock service? You're not all that. And neither am I. You're not all that. There are people who are legends in their own mind. They think they're God's gift. They walk into a room like, yep, I'm here. And they think people are always talking about them. And I tell them, very few are talking about you ever. Because you're not all that. But there is somebody who is all that. His name is Jesus. He's all that. 
He really is all that. But all that pride, it reeks, it stinketh, that pride. Now, I want to let you know that there's really nothing wrong with being proud in this sense. You ought to have pride in a job well done. You ought to do your job so well that you're proud of it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's of God. Ecclesiastes says a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. Find what you love to do and do it, and you'll never work another day in your life. Because you love what you're doing. And do it well. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Let all that you do be done to the glory of God. And as unto the Lord and not unto men, for of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Do a good job and take pride in that. There's nothing wrong with that. The kind of pride I'm talking about is the pride that says, I don't need God. It's called in James the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. The pride of life is when you say, I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I can make it on my own. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. Thank you. The exalting of self to the exclusion of God, a sinfully prideful person will not give God the glory. Hear me on this one. A sinfully prideful person will not say, Lord, I could never have done this without you. They won't say, they can't get it through their teeth. They can't get it off their tongue. They can't say, Lord, I would have been lost without you. I couldn't have made this happen without you. I tell people I could never build a church like this without God. I've told you what my habit is. And it's been my habit for years and years and years. When we go home after a service, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, doesn't matter. I go straight to a little prayer place. All my dogs know where I'm going. The one that can get up on the bed, jumps up on the bed and stares right here while I do this. And I say, Lord, I give you the glory. I know what happened today could not have ever happened by me, but it was done by you. I want to give you the praise and I want you to know that I know who did this. And I tell him that. Every time. Because we can't make it without him. But the proud person can't say that. They won't say it. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was a proud man. And one day he opened up his big mouth and it got him into all kinds of trouble. He said this in the hearing of God. He said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power And for the glory of my majesty, I, me, my mind, it was all about him. Me, myself, and I was his Godhead. And oh, he said that and God heard it. And the words were still on his lips. The Bible says in Daniel 4, verse 30, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what I decree for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And the Bible says from that moment on, he lost his mind. He went on all fours. He crawled through the open fields and under the starry skies at night like an animal. He drew, grew fingernails like a wild animal for a times and a season for a couple of years, a few years. And then finally, his sanity returned to him. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I give God the glory. The Bible says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Don't think you're all that. This whole self-esteem thing in our country is totally unbiblical. Well, shouldn't I have self-esteem? You ought to have accurate esteem, biblical esteem. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Without him, I was headed straight for a devil's hell. Thank God for the grace of God. Pride was the first transgression to stain God's perfect universe. The first sin that ever shattered God's beautiful creation was pride. Satan became lifted up with pride. The Bible says he said, I will be like God. And that was the beginning of the end for him. As soon as he said that, God judged him, cast him to the earth as a disembodied spirit. And Lucifer, the light bearer, became Satan, the devil. In a flash, because of pride. Of the seven things listed in Proverbs 6 that God hates, the very first one, very first that God hates, is a proud look. That highfalutin, highbrow, where it better not rain or the proud will drown because their nose is up in the sky. They look down on you like, huh, I'm all that and you ain't all that. And they reek of it. That's the proud. The Bible warns that like clouds gather before rain, pride gathers in the heart of the person about to fall into sin. If you allow pride to inflate your heart, your fall is imminent. And when you fall, it's going to embarrass you. The Bible says you better humble yourself instead under the mighty hand of God. And when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. Humbling yourself requires the admission that you can't do it alone, that your problem is bigger, your problem is stronger, and it will win the day if God doesn't help you. It also means you give God the glory. Can we just for a minute lift our hands and say, Lord, I give you the glory? Can we do that right now? Heavenly Father, you've been so good. And we just stop for a minute and we give you the glory. We're saved because of you. We're here today because of you. There are things that, Lord, held us bound that don't anymore because of you. You've broken the shackles and given us hope and shined your light on our heart, and we give you the glory. You gave us another day today, and we give you the glory. Amen. Isn't that good to do? The stone of pride can stand before the Lord and a person's need for a breakthrough. Because they will not admit that they can't do it, they can't handle it, they can't fix it. And Jesus' word to them is the same. Didn't I say to you, if you would believe, drop your pride, admit that you need help. And if you would believe, you will see the glory of God break loose on your problem. So roll that stone of pride away. God already knows the truth about you anyway. The second obstacle that can be like a stone standing between us and our breakthrough is the obstacle of Shame. This is a big one. Shame. I'm ashamed. Shame manifests itself more times than not in the presence of a moral sin or some kind of an embarrassing habit that we can't kick. And so here comes shame. Shame is like a stone standing. Here's Jesus. He wants to get in to our problem, but the shame, the shame is stopping us. Our shame won't let him in because we don't want to admit. We don't want others to know what we do, what we think, what has us in its grip. 
what makes us stumble. We, we don't want others to know about that porn habit or the alcohol or the drugs or the relationship, the marriage that's about to implode. We don't want others to know. Just like Mary, she was embarrassed. Mary was embarrassed. She had shame. I'm going to roll this stone away <laughs> because it's going to smell. And, and we, 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 we are a notable family. And we've never smelled as it were. We've got reputation. And I'm not going to roll that stone away and, and, and let the smell of my dead brother come out. And it's an embarrassment to me and sis. She didn't want the odor of the death in her family to reach others. So here was her attitude. Let's just bury it. Let's just bury it. Let's just bury the problem. Let's just put it under. Let's suppress it. Let's get it out of the way. Let's cover it up. It's too late now. It's past the point of rescue, but I'm sure not going to let anybody know about it. I'm not going to let anybody get to it. I'm not going to let anybody see what we are experiencing. And we do the same thing, church. We do the same thing. We bury, we bury, we bury stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm fighting for my life with this, this problem, this addiction, this hang-up, this, this issue. But, man, I am not about to let the church smell this. Because I know what they'll do. They'll point a finger at me and judge me and call me names. And I won't be held in the same level of reputation as I am now. And, and after all, I'm in kind of a le- level of leadership. Or I've got to, I'm known as a, as a long-term Christian. I'm not going to let somebody know that there is this smell, this stench, this problem. Is anybody hearing me today? So, so, so figuratively speaking, we, so we choose to live a lie. To maintain an image of success and happiness. Rather than let others in on some of the things that stink in, in our life. I've got an image to uphold. You know, you might be surprised to you know a lot of people already know. Because we already kind of smell it. We're not stupid in the church. Okay? But, but here's, here's what shame does. Well, no, I've got to put this thing down. I gotta, I'm going to leave this stone of shame there. That shame is going to stay there, even if it means that I never really get healed because it's more important to me to uphold the image than to be healed. Oh, that's crazy thinking. Church, aren't we to the place now, finally, in the church in the 21st century where all hell is breaking loose in the United States of America, that we need to one another one another, that we need to be talking to one another and sharing with one another and being honest with one another and confident enough that if I share my struggle with somebody else, I'm not going to be condemned or judged or put down or kicked out, but I'll be loved anyway. Listen to what James said. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Amplified Bible says it this way. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Wow. The NIRV says, so admit to one another that you have sinned. Pray for one another so you might be healed. Let me tell you something about what Jesus did. 
Jesus bore your shame and my shame by hanging naked on the cross so that you could be delivered of shame. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. As they whipped him up that hill in front of all the people he had taught and delivered and healed, his disciples, the women that had followed him, he was whipped up that hill and taken up that hill and pushed up that hill. His cross was carried by Simon of Cyrene up that hill. And when he got to the top of that hill, he was naked. Isaiah said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. See him there. Look. Do you see him there? Look at him. Look at Jesus. He hangs between heaven and earth, naked and humiliated, a sign over his head, king of the Jews, mocking him, hanging there. For you and for me, and everything Jesus experienced on that cross and leading up to that cross was therapeutic and healing and delivering for us because whatever negative he experienced turned to our positive. Let me take a little bit of poetic license and bring it home. He made him who knew no shame to be shame for us that we might become unashamed. Sin makes you ashamed. Sin makes you hang your head. Sin makes you where you won't look somebody in the eye. Sin makes you where you don't like yourself. Sin makes you where you don't think anything of yourself. Sin beats you down. But when the shame is taken away, it is a glorious day because you hold your head high. That weight sitting on your shoulders is gone. And you're able to walk with confidence before God and man because the shame and the guilt of sin has been removed. And that's what Jesus did. So roll the stone of shame away. Tell somebody about your struggle. Be honest about it. Don't worry about it. They might have already known about it anyway. And God sure knows about it. And there's something about just saying, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling this is my fight, this is my battle, and I'm telling you about it. And as soon as you do, it's like you're just pushing that stone away. And God gets in. Last obstacle, unbelief. I believe God hates unbelief. See, the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, had two kinds of faith. Now watch this carefully. They had two kinds of faith, but neither of them is what Jesus was hoping to find when he arrived. Here's what they had. Martha, the first one to him, had someday faith. Jesus said to her, listen to me, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. She didn't understand what he was saying. Martha answered, oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know all about the resurrection at the last day. So somewhere way down the road, way into the future, I know that he'll rise from the dead when everybody else does. And Jesus looked at her and said, you don't get it. I am the resurrection in your now. I'm not talking about someday. So he encounters this someday. Oh, yeah, someday. Someday things are going to be okay. Someday we'll all be in heaven and all this will be over with. In the meantime, I'm going through hell on earth. And 
God help me just to get by by the skin of my chinny chin chin because he sure ain't going to help me now. Someday faith. Then he goes to Mary and she's got another kind. She's got yesterday faith. Lord, if you had been here. If you had been. Lord, too bad you're late. Jesus, you're late. Too bad you're late. If you had been here when he was just sick with a fever before he was dead. If you had been here before our marriage got this bad. If you had shown up before my kids went completely wacky. If you had shown up before our finances got this bad. But Lord, now that you've shown up a day late and a dollar short, I, I'm sorry, but, but I've, got, I've got, if you had been here, faith, yesterday, faith, my sister's got someday, faith. And boy, I love what Jesus said. He said, look, the resurrection is staring you in the eye. The resurrection is looking at you and talking to you. I'm telling you, get that stone out of the way and let me at it because I'm not here for someday and I'm not here for yesterday. I'm here for today. Today. Everybody say today. Say with me, he's a today God. Oh yeah, I believe in a someday God. I believe the resurrection is going to come and I believe in a yesterday God. Thank God he was there for me years ago and saved my soul. But I need him to do something now. So they said, okay, roll away the stone. I think they were rolling their eyes. Roll the stone away. What can I say? Jesus said, roll it away. They rolled that thing away. And Jesus stood at the mouth of a cave, and the smell came out, and it was real. I love this. If I could go back in time, have a time machine, this is one of the places I'd go. Right here. Because Jesus walks up, my Jesus, your Jesus, to the mouth of this cave. And he spoke to their impossibility. Lazarus, come forth. I think the mourners who were all paid to be there went, oh, brother. But then, listen, there was a sound. Woo. How can you be a Christian and not get excited about this? There was a sound. And at first they thought, oh, there's mice down there, there's rats down there, there's something. But then there was a stronger sound, a louder sound. And all of a sudden, coming out of the dark is Lazarus, a dead man. I know some of them fainted, dead cold, on the spot. <laughs> now, we talk about having an anger fit, a fear fit, a panic fit. What about a benefit? This was a benefit time. This is when, you know, I can only use my sanctified imagination and imagine if a man comes out of the dead that's been there for four days and he's your beloved brother, you don't sit there and say, well, praise the Lord. (laughs) You go crazy, baby. You go out there. You go nuts with joy. Listen, it says it shook the entire city of Jerusalem from stem to stern. People could not believe it, but Jesus raised this man from the dead when they got the stone out of the way. The glory of God was revealed on their impossibility. Amen. Say with me, they put pride down. They shunned their shame. And they stood on the word. And they rolled that stone away. Can we stand together today?
And I want to pray for people. I want to ask there to be as little movement as possible. And we get real quiet before God, can we? Because I didn't just come to preach just so I could preach. This is a word. Next week, I'm going to talk about take the grave clothes off. But right now, there are people that have a Lazarus. Impossibility. And there's either pride, shame, or unbelief. That's the stone standing in the way. And I'm going to ask us today to give God a chance to move. Some of you have said, my marriage is dead. It stinketh. It's over. Let's bury it. Some of you have said, this habit, I will never be free. I declare to you again, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So if you can say today, Pastor Jeff, I've got a Lazarus. And I'm ready to roll the stone away. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. Real good and high. Amen. All over this place. All over this place. I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are. I want you to come down. I want to pray for you right here. Remember when I said the Lord always requires a step of faith? Here's your step of faith. Just slip out and come. Come down to the altar of God. There is a resurrection down here for you today. Come right now. Put feet to your faith. Faith is a verb. Put feet to your faith. God's going to move on you. sense his precious spirit hovering over this place right now. Say with me, it may be too late for me. Say it with me, it may be too late for me, but it's not too late for him. Amen. Somebody here might need to get saved. Sir, ma'am, is pride keeping you from the cross? Better roll that stone away. Don't let pride or shame or even unbelief keep you from the cross of Christ. With our heads bowed, if you can say, I, I do need to come to him. I'm willing to roll that stone of pride away. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Would you raise your hand? I bless you. Several down here. <clears throat> Anyone out here? Because we're just going to take care of God's business here today. Now, let's do salvation first. Say, Lord, thank you. You died for me and rose from the dead. I roll my pride away. I need you. Without you, I'm lost. I place my faith in you for the salvation of my soul. In Jesus' name. If you did that, lift up your hands and say, Lord, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for hearing me.
many out in the audience. God bless you. Now the rest of us, I want you to say, Lord, I give you this stone. Pride, my shame, unbelief. Lord, I confess it to you. And I roll that stone away. I will not allow it to keep me from you and from your glory manifesting on my problem. In the name of Jesus, thank you for hearing me. And I receive the answer. I receive you into the inner sanctum of my soul, into every locked room, every place I've kept you out. I throw the door wide open and I receive you. I release any person, place, or thing standing in the way of the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. And lift your hands and thank the Lord. Let's just come into his presence with thanksgiving.